Johnson had a beautiful baby girl on January 26th. She was seven pounds, three ounces, and her name is Stevie Ray Iris Johnson. So you can congratulate Robbie in the back. She's sleeping, but you can and congratulate Robbie and her family. We're super excited. Uh, we have a couple of other really great announcements. As you guys have been hearing, our marriage uh, dynamic marriage program is being kicking off very soon. And John and Yoke Spencer are doing a great job. Um, and we want to have an informational meeting today. So if you have a little bit of interest and you haven't yet um, had an opportunity to find out more about it, even if maybe this season isn't the exact time, it might be something you'd be able to do in the future. They're having a meeting right after church in the little chapel right across the way. So you can join John and Yoke over there and find out more about the program. Maybe it's something you can do. Uh, also, next Sunday, we have a, a really fun service planned. It's our fifth birthday for See Me Church. So, yeah. <laughs> So we want to encourage you to bring your friends, bring your family, invite everyone. We'll have lots of fun. Joe will be preaching. We'll have cake after service. And who doesn't like cake? So we'll see you guys then. All right. So I uh, have a special guest with me here today. I'm going to ask Daniel Jolliffe to come on out right now. Daniel is the minister of the Church of Christ right next door. So we're like uh, two brother families that live next door to each other. And... Uh, we have become, in recent months, really good friends. I mean, we really become fast friends. And I want to thank John Teals. Those of you that don't know, he started something called Common Grounds a while back. And it's really an opportunity for different people from what we call the restoration movement or the uh, different faith traditions that we have a common tradition with. Uh, it's for them to come together every quarter. And we just, we have breakfast, we talk a little bit, we share. And we just make friends and we make some connections. And I really believe that God has been using this, not only John's little thing, Common Grounds, but there's other uh, uh, people out there that are doing similar things. I think Common Grounds now has how many different chapters, John? There's four different chapters around this area. There's even some that are expressing interest on the East Coast and in other places. But the point is, is that this sort of tradition of churches, these, these restoration family of churches are sort of starting to kind of talk with each other and God is doing some really great things. Well. In the course of that, I met Daniel. We've become good friends. We spent some good time together. He's been incredibly uh, encouraging to me in my faith, and I, hopefully uh, I've been the same for him. But uh, I decided to invite him over to come and speak to us today because I think it'd be really great to sort of share resources between our two congregations. I got the opportunity to speak there last, and it was a great uh, time to be over there. A little bit about Daniel. He is uh, the son of Church of Christ missionaries and who were also the, the children of Church of Christ members going back several generations, as far as I understand. He goes all the way back to the beginning, his family line, to the beginning of the Restoration Movement. His parents were missionaries in northern Japan, so he actually was born and ra or raised in northern Japan, speaks fluent Japanese with what he would say a hillbilly accent, because that's <laughs> in northern Japan, they're hillbillies, that's their version of hillbillies up there. <laughs> He also uh, became, uh, you know, a disciple in his own right, went to school, and then became a missionary himself, and him and his wife served for 10 years in Kenya. So he has a tremendous amount of experience. So I want to introduce him to you. I'm going to plug him in here to our recording, and then I'm going to hand the mic over to him, and we have the opportunity to hear from Daniel. So let's... Back off. Yeah. It's on. Good morning. 
I've been looking forward to this. I'm gonna step down here, not because, um, you know, I like to get down with the people or anything, but I'm a klutz and I'm afraid I'll trip over something up there. So I'm gonna come on down here. Um, I am excited about being here. I've, uh, as Joe was sort of saying, I've worshiped all over the world in uh, probably more than 29, 30 languages. Um, and it's always something special, even when I don't know the language, even when I don't know what's going on. If you step into a church, you do. I couldn't figure out the words, but I knew when communion was being passed. I knew when we were praying to God in the spirit. And uh, it has just been a tremendous blessing to travel around to so many different places and, and do that. And, and this morning, traveling about 150 yards um, <laughs> uh, to worship with you, which has been a, a real joy. Um, I see my daughter has joined us, so I'm glad that she's here as well. That's uh, Jesse over there. She was born in Kenya as well, and uh, all three of our children were born there. When they went to Pepperdine, I tried to get them African-American scholarships, but for some reason, <laughs> they just wouldn't, uh, something about the blonde hair, my oldest son's blonde, you know. So uh, that didn't quite work out, but uh, my wife and I met at Pepperdine. Uh, our two oldest children went there. My youngest is going to UC Santa Barbara, uh, finishing up there. We're in Matthew. Um, one of the things about our history, our restoration history, is that we place a very high premium on the authority of the text. That we come to scripture as the authority, whether you're a preacher, an elder, or anybody else, that the, the, the scriptures are the words of God. And so we take that personally, and, and so when I find texts that I think have been uh, somewhat abused, um, I try to deal with them, and I am one of those Bible nerds. I'm, I'm, I had three years of Greek. I've got an MDiv from Harding. I, I really love the text. And so we come to a verse like this, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am with them. It seems to stand alone, and yet what does it mean? Whereas two or three are gathered together, what's that mean? Well, possible interpretations... Usually it's been used as a, you know, consolation for a small worship. You know, when nobody shows up, we can say, well, you know, we're two or three gathered together. Jesus is there. You know, that's, we're still good. Um, but, you know, I just don't think that's really uh, what God had in mind there. Now, another on the negative side is we use it to justify a small gathering where we've excluded a few members. <laughs> You know, people we don't get along with, people we're not comfortable with. So we, we sort of leave them out and we say, hey, there's still two or three of us together, so Jesus is here. Uh, but I don't think that is really what God had in mind either. Um, this, this is maybe a little more poignant, but I, I still don't think it gets to the heart of the matter. But, you know, you, you talk to people that say, well, I have a personal relationship with God. I don't need to go to church. You can say, well, it says you've got to have two or three or Jesus isn't there. You know, well, again, that's, uh, that's an interesting argument. I just don't think that's what it's really talking about. So what do you do when, you, when, you're, when you're trying to understand a verse? And you know, there are verses that stand alone, you know, the two greatest commandments and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Those can sit by themselves and still have great meaning. But, but something like this, you really need to look at the context. So let's, let's look at this. If your brother sins against you, 
Go and show him his fall just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, treat him as you would a pagan and a tax collector. And, and you know, there again, there's some difficulties there. Not too many of us are familiar with pagans. Um, but we still all know how we feel about tax collectors. So, you know, you sort of get the idea there. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two, if two of you on earth agree on about anything you ask for, it will be done for you in my Father, by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name... There I am with them. This helps a little, but not a lot. Because <laughs> it doesn't seem to fit. What it's talking about in that, just don't kind of match up. Let's, let's look at it a little more. You got this, you know, you've sort of got this section here, what we call the one, two, three method of getting rid of people. Is, you know, if you get someone, you know, you've got to start down the, you've got to say you did it right, you know, and you go down the list and, you know, you talk to them, then you get some more people and then you get a bunch of people and then you throw them out. But that's, you know, um, and then there's this whole binding on earth and heaven seems to go with that section. And then you have this thing, if two of you agree in prayer, that, that kind of makes sense if you're, you know, dealing with some difficult person. Um, but then you come to this last one. It, it doesn't seem to fit. It's almost like, you know, maybe Matthew just misplaced this one. Maybe he found it and stuck it in here somewhere. It, it doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. So let's expand the context. That's, when you get in trouble, you, you just get, the, get a bigger context and start looking at it. Matthew 18 starts out with this question, who is the greatest? His disciples come to him and say, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Now, what would motivate a question like that? See, I've got this nephew. Anytime we're, we're playing a board game or cards and he starts doing really well, he'll look up and say, who's winning? <laughs> <laughs> when the disciples come to Jesus and say, who's the greatest in the kingdom? You don't ask a question like that unless you think you're pretty close to the top of the list. <laughs> I have a feeling, you know, James, John, and Peter are all standing right there and probably asked the question. And then we know from the, the stories we read that, that James and John were a little nervous about Peter. I think they knew they were sort of a little above everybody else. But Peter was squeezing in, you know, when, and so they asked Jesus, can we sit at your right and your left? That kind of left Peter out. And I don't think Peter appreciated that. So he's, he's trying to get in on it. And so here they are. You know, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And, you know, if, if you feel like the least, you're not going to ask that question. You know, you, they think they're, they're pretty high up there. And that's not a great question to ask someone like Jesus. He says, unless you become like a child, unless you will humble yourself like a child. And humility isn't what motivated the question in the first place. <laughs> then you have the parable of the lost sheep. Seems strange. Jesus talks to them about becoming like a child and temptations that come into the world and woe to the one that becomes a temptation. And, and, and then he talks about the sheep. There's a there's hundred sheep and one's missing and then the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes to find the one. And he rejoices 
in heaven when the one is found and lost. That's the next part of that. And then you've got this, if a brother sins against you and you've got your, your way you deal with that. And then you come to this last section, the unmerciful servant. I'm sure you're familiar with the story. The, 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 the rich guy calls his people in. He's going to settle accounts. And there's one guy that owes him a lot of money. We're talking, you know, like a $10, $10 million or something. And, and he says, you know, you got to pay. And the guy says, I can't pay. Don't, please don't put me in jail. And, and he was going to throw him in prison and sell his family and do all that stuff. And he says, no, 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 please, I'll pay you back. I promise I'll pay you back. And he gets down on his knees and he begs the man. And the guy says, you know what? Let's just forget it. Just forget the whole debt. And lets him go and cancels his debt. I'd call that a good day, wouldn't you? you know? And he walks out and he runs into another servant who owes him like a hundred bucks. And he grabs him around the collar and says, where's my money? And the other one, he says, look, look, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll pay you back. I'll do it. And he says, no, no, no. And he actually has him thrown in prison until he can pay back the debt. Well, the other servants hear about this and, and you know, they didn't feel very good about it. They went to the master and they said, hey, do you know what he did after he walked out of getting his debt canceled? So the rich guy calls him back in and says, take him away. Sell his family and his children into slavery. Don't let him out until he can pay it back. He said, I showed mercy on you. Why didn't you show mercy on your brother? And then there's this little thing at the end where it says, this is how God will treat us if we don't forgive one another. And then he throws in this really nasty part at the end, from your heart. <laughs> this isn't one of those, okay, I forgive you. From the heart. So you get in the context here. We've got people with some ego issues. We've got needing to become like children. What does this tell us? tells us that you've got some relational things going on here. That this is about these relationships. Jesus, these are the guys he's going to turn over the beginning of Christianity to, and they're still fighting over who's the greatest. Not a real confidence booster there. And, and, he, and he talks about, let, 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 hey, you've got you to humble yourself like a child. You, you've got to be willing to go look for that one lost sheep. You can't sit there and say, hey, we've still got 99, we're good. You gotta care about the one that's lost. You gotta care about the struggling one. You don't try to get rid of each other. And then he talks about the brother that sins against you. Well, he deals with the children. He deals with that for, he said, you know, children had no rights. When he says, you gotta become like a child. Children were to be seen and not heard. I mean, that, you know, we, we know that phrase, but that was very much in the first century. Children had no rights. And they, they were to speak when spoken to. Growing up in Japan, I understood this. Yeah. Um, you know, you, any, anybody older than you, you called aunt or uncle, and if they were much older, you called them grandmother or grandfather. And those were terms of respect. And if they asked you to do something, you did it. Or you'd get smacked. And I know that doesn't work in our society, but you know, that, that, that's how they were. And so I understand that as a child, you, they had incredible respect. So when Jesus tells them, you've got to become like a child, what, what they're saying is you've got to become everybody's servant. You've got to humble yourself and become everybody's servant. And if someone asks you to do something, you do it. You don't talk back. You don't, you know, complain. You don't come up with excuses. You've got to become like a child. You've got to be that shepherd that's concerned with the one 
instead of the contented many. And then you've got to share mercy. See, this unmerciful servant didn't have any justice or mercy. And if you know anything about God, you know that those are two of the foundational character qualities that he shares. He is just and merciful. And how that works together, I have no idea. I'm just glad he's God and I'm not. And he'll work it out. So how do we interpret this? This whole one, two, three method of kicking someone out, that's not what this verse is about. I'm sure you knew that. See, so you consider the context, it's clearly about bringing someone back. Yeah. Bringing back that lost sheep, bringing back that broken relationship, bringing back that suffering person that's been squeezed out for one reason or another. Maybe they just didn't feel like they were significant or anyone really cared. But, but, but you've, we've gotta be those people that go and talk to them and maybe they did something really wrong. I know I've been there. I've made some mistakes and I've thought, God can't use me anymore. And I've had good friends. Yeah. Fellow ministers come and say, there is no, I can't come back. Yeah. God always wants you back. Yeah. And when you become a parent, you get that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't care what your kids have done. Yeah. You always have those things. You know, I remember in the store, you, you ever been in a public place and someone says, is this your boy? <laughs> How do I answer that? <laughs> Never seen him before in my life. <laughs> yeah, that's my boy. I don't care what he's done. Yeah, that's my daughter. I don't care. They, they, they can mess up. They can do all sorts of things. And I hope I've communicated that to my children. No matter what's happened, you can come home. You're welcome here. We will love you. Might be angry. Might be a little upset. But there's no question. We want you to come home. And you will be loved here. We get that, right? It's about bringing someone back. It's about reconciling broken relationships. It's about bringing things that were just smashed to smithereens and bringing it back together. I was talking with Joe the other day. one of the things that I, I think that one of the most important things I do is, is marriage counseling. It's also one of the most exhausting things I do. Um, you know, you listen to people's troubles and you listen to the, the hurts and the pains. And part of the problem with doing marriage counseling is my wife doesn't realize how fortunate she is that I learn a lot while I'm doing marriage counseling. <laughs> You know, some wife will sit there and tell me, you know what he did? And she'll tell me, and I'll think, oh, that's terrible. I just did that last week. (laughs) Um, You learn, and you realize, I've had to realize, I've done some really foolish, hurtful things without knowing it. Thank God. My mother wisely counseled me. She said, when you get married, you marry a woman who is totally committed to God because the day will come when she will not be totally committed to you. And you will have to depend on her commitment to God to stay with you. 
We've been married 36 years. We're still working on it. By the grace of God. It's about bringing broken relationships together. And I know so many times you think there's just no fixing this. But with God, all things are possible. Now there's one problem with this whole thing. To err is human, to forgive is divine. And the saying, it's, that's not the Bible, but I think it, it gets pretty close to the truth that we're all way too good at messing up and we have a little difficulty on the forgiveness part. And again, I think this is one of the greatest hypocrisies in the church that we don't talk about. Aren't you, I mean, don't you praise God for the grace of God? I mean, are we not all grateful to receive God's grace? Then why is it so hard for us to extend that out? I mean, we're, we're, hey, God, bring it on. Forgive my sins. And I'm amazed at my own memory. I, I really lighten up on myself. But <laughs> boy, on anybody else. I've always said the problem with churches is that they're filled with people. We're, we're weak, selfish sinners. We're messed up. I loved one guy, I asked him, I said, why, did you, why, why do you want to be a part of the church? He said, I want to be right. I said, you know, we come to Jesus because we're wrong. You understand that? We're, the, the church isn't full of right people. It's full of messed up people that are being made right. And so we, we too often, we, we just, we have a trouble with that extending the grace, the forgiveness of others. And there's nothing more difficult, is there? I mean, if you've ever been a part of a divorce, whether you're on the kid into that or in the marriage partner into that, if you've ever had a close friend betray you, you've ever had a child run away, estranged. I mean, I've, I've experienced a lot of physical pain in my life. There's, that's nothing compared to the emotional pain that you can experience. This is tough. I mean, we can laugh about it, and I hope we understand that, but it, this is hard. Getting a broken relationship back together is a great challenge. And this is why. I don't know how many times a year I hear someone tell me this. She did this and I just can't. He did this and I just, I can't forgive him. That's just unforgivable. And I keep thinking, did you, did you see the sign over the church building? We will walk? Church of Christ. We, we, this, is, this is Jesus' church. Yeah. Don't tell me we can't. Forgive. Tell me it's hard. I, I get that. But you can't say, I just can't forgive that. See, you got to think about what has God forgiven you? Think of all the things, unedited, that God has forgiven you for. And then you got to think about, can I extend that grace to others? And that's why I think Jesus threw in this little parable at the end. Yeah. The unmerciful servant. Do you realize how much we have been forgiven? 
That's what that parable is about. You are forgiven this huge, unimaginable debt. And then you go out and for peanuts, you throw somebody else away. You break up a relationship. You, you, you just toss them out like garbage and it, that, that's just not who God is. That's why Jesus puts that in there. Matthew 16, 15, or 6, 15 says, If you do not forgive others, God, your Father, will not forgive you. Now, you don't have to be a theologian or a Greek scholar to figure that one out. <laughs> if we do not forgive others, God will not. It doesn't say it might not. Might say it doesn't say he'll consider. It says God will not forgive us if we don't forgive others. I think that's pretty clear. Makes me want to become very forgiving. Now here's the thing. God knows this is hard. God knows awful things have been done to people. Maybe we were molested as a child. Maybe we were beaten verbally and physically abused. Maybe someone just did awful things to you, stole from you, cheated, maligned your name, betrayed, whatever that is. And those, those are deep hurts. And God understands all of those because we've done all of those to him. He knows that forgiving a terrible wrong is an extremely difficult thing for us to do. Sometimes it's, it's even beyond our limits. Maybe it's a little more than we can handle. That's why Jesus told his disciples, where two or three come together in my name. You hear what he's saying here? When two or three are coming together in my name, I'm with them. I think this is one of the most awesome verses in the Bible. You see, when we come together to reconcile broken relationships, when we come together to try to forgive beyond our capacity to forgive, God shows up personally. And he gives us what we need to do what he's called us to do. This is so close to God's heart that he'll personally join us. Whether that's reconciling a marriage, a parent and a child, who knows, maybe even church movements. But that's what this is about, bringing that together and knowing that as hard as it might be, as difficult, as incapable as we often feel, God will provide what's needed to bring it together. That's what this verse is saying. And there's a little thing else that hit me about this. You see, it's, we, we all want to be like Jesus, right? I mean, we know that, that, you know, like if I said, do you want to be like Jesus? You're all going to say yes, whether you want to or not, because we know that's the right answer, right? You know? Okay. But, but do we actually understand what that means? See, Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was beaten. Jesus died on a cross. Jesus was accused wrongly. Jesus was betrayed by his closest friends. And he suffered for them anyway. He went to the cross anyway. 
and he forgave them anyway. And one of the great messages is we don't have to suffer for our own sins because he suffered for them. So when we suffer for the sins of others and we forgive them, that's one of the few times we can really be like Jesus. That's one of those rare moments where we can identify. And you know, I don't get excited about suffering for other people's sins. You know, when I get a speeding ticket, I think, well, you know, I was speeding. I got a ticket. When my wife gets a speeding ticket, I'm thinking, I got to shell out a lot of money for her mistake. We don't like suffering for other people's sins, and yet that's exactly what we're called to do. We don't have to suffer for our own sins. Praise God. So we are privileged to get to suffer for others and forgive them. That's when we can really be like Jesus. When others see a loving and forgiving church, what they see is God. See, that's not normal. This is not human, okay? So when they they find a group of people that know each other and love each other anyway, (laughs) kind of like marriage, right? When you know all the dirt, and you still love each other? When people see that, they say, that's strange, that's unusual, that's, that's not normal. That's what the Bible calls holy. And they see God. I tell people all the time, if you see good in me, it's because you see God in me. And that's what I'm shooting for. And so when, when they see a loving, forgiving community, they start to see God, and that's what we're called to do. We're called to reflect the character of God. So that when a world that's lost, when a world that's filled with pain and suffering, when a, a world that's filled with broken relationships and unforgivable sins and hopelessness can look into a church and see loving and forgiving people that have, that have encountered all of those same problems, but have allowed the grace of God to fill them and have allowed the grace of God to extend out so that God can reconcile the whole world to himself. Because indeed, as Paul says, we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. Amen? Amen. Wow. Thank you, Daniel. That was uh, truly great. And I really, really appreciated the lesson there. You know, at CME Church, we do want to be that kind of a church. We want to be a place where people come and they're loved. And, and we, we are broken. We are not perfect. We do make mistakes. And we do need to learn how to forgive each other. So if there's anybody that you're thinking of, whether it's here in the fellowship or just in your life, I have a couple I thought of right away that I need to extend grace and forgiveness to, that I need to be like Jesus to, not because I'm so great, but because I'm just as broken as anyone else, I want to encourage you to do the same and extend that grace and that forgiveness to them. So we're going to close out now with a word of prayer. Go ahead and stand on up. I want to invite you back next Sunday, uh, 10.30 a.m. as usual. We're going to have our fifth anniversary service. It's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be some singing. We're going to have some fellowship. We're going to have some uh, 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 refreshments. 
just be a great time together. Please uh, invite your family, your friends, anyone in your Oikos. We'd love to see them here and celebrate with us next Sunday. Let's go to God and we'll close out with prayer. Father, uh, thank you for the charge to be loving towards one another, to be forgiving towards one another, to be reminded that you're there with us in all of our interactions and that it's uh, you that gives, makes up the difference, gives us the strength that we need when we uh, fall short. Thank you for the grace you've given to us. Thank you for Daniel coming and blessing us with such a, a great message, calling us higher and reminding us of how precious what we have really is. And it's all because of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Enjoy your Sunday. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, if you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies, if you're trying to feel the same old holes inside, there's a better life. There's a better life If you got pain He's a pain taker If you feel lost He's a way maker If you need freedom A savior He's a prison shaking savior If you got chains He's a chain breaker We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fire We've all run to things we know just ain't right And there's a better life There's a better life If you got pain He's a pain taker If you feel alone